This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International. Good evening Christchurch and welcome to the first Activate show for 2022, so Happy New Year to everyone out there, all your human rights defenders, I uh, hope you've had a good Christmas and New Year's break and you're already in primed for some uh, great human rights activation and uh, taking action this year. So uh, our first show for January 2022 is looking like a real perler. We've got the second part of the interview um, that you might remember we had with Simon O'Connor, National MP for Tamaki, uh, last December. Uh, so in the second part of this interview, he'll be talking more about IPAC, the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. Uh, and uh, that's going to be very relevant for some of the things we'll talk about later on in the show. Uh, we've also got our human rights in the news um, from Catherine. And uh, Kerry will be giving us some good news stories, uh, uh, maybe some highlights from 2021 and uh, particularly in the later part of the year. Uh, finally, I'll be uh, wrapping up the show with uh, some uh, things to look forward to in the coming months and some actions that you can be taking and participating in on behalf of human rights around the world. So without further ado, uh, let's crack into it and uh, get the year rolling with another great uh, Activate show here on Plains FM. Hello and welcome to the first edition of Human Rights in the News for 2020. I hope you all had a restful break. This is a news item that caught my eye in Al Jazeera. The headline reads, ousted Myanmar leader Su Chi faces five new corruption charges. Myanmar's military installed government has filed five new corruption charges against ousted leader Aung San Su Chi in connection with granting permits to rent and buy a helicopter, an official said. Aung San Su Chi, detained since last February's military coup, is already being tried on five other corruption charges. Each is punishable by up to 15 years in prison and a fine. Suchi has previously faced other charges and has been sentenced to six years of imprisonment after being convicted of illegally importing and possessing walkie-talkies and violating coronavirus restrictions. Her supporters and rights groups say the cases against her were contrived by the military to justify its takeover and prevent her from returning to politics. The military government has rejected the criticism. According to the Myanmar Rights Watchdog Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, there have been at least 1,469 people killed and more than 11,500 detained since the February 1 coup last year. The five new charges involve the hire, purchase and maintenance of a helicopter, said a legal official familiar with the case, who spoke on condition of anonymity because he is not authorised to release information. 
State media had announced in December that Su Chi and Wynne Myatt, who was president in her government, would be prosecuted under the anti-corruption law in connection with hiring a helicopter. The state-run Global New Light of Myanmar newspaper said the Anti-Corruption Commission found that they abused their power and caused a loss of state funds by neglecting to follow financial regulations and granting permission to then Social Welfare, Relief and Resettlement Minister Wynne Myatt to rent and buy a helicopter. The other corruption charges for which Su Chi is being prosecuted involve alleged bribery and abuse of authority connected to real estate deals. She is also being tried on the charge of violating the Official Secrets Act, which carries a maximum sentence of 14 years. The military government has said she and colleagues will also be tried for alleged electoral fraud. So again, it's another watch this space and see what happens with the latest charges that she now faces. So welcome back, uh, Amnesty listeners, and thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Simon O'Connor, National MP for Tamaki. Um, And you may well remember uh, that we interviewed him uh, back in December 2021, the final show of the year, and we talked about, uh, well, Simon's background in general and um, his role on IPAC, or the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. So uh, welcome back, Simon, and thanks again for doing another part of the interview for us. Oh, it's a pleasure, and it's uh, nice to be in a new year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, at the end of the interview last December, so I mentioned, you know, we've spoken broad terms about um, IPAC and its role, uh, talking about the coercive, you know, focusing on the coercive diplomacy that uh, the Communist Party of China sometimes uses, um, uh, talking, um, managing around trade, um, and, and of course another big focus, and, and probably what a lot of our listeners are more attuned to is the human rights issues uh, with China, and I'm hoping we'll be able to uh, talk in sort of broad terms about some of those human rights issues that IPAC has uh, brought to the limelight. Yeah, no, very, very happy to. I mean, fundamentally, human rights is at the the heart of of IPAC's philosophy Mm. and a belief in democracy and, and free trade. Um, yeah. So no, happy to talk on any of those. Great. And uh, I'll just uh, point out to our uh, listeners that if they wanted to go to the website to uh, look more at IPAC or some of the issues we're talking about, I believe it's ipac.global. Is that correct, Simon? That's the one, yeah, ipac.global. And you'll see the various co-chairs, the campaigns we're running. And they use a lot of Twitter as well. That's probably our, our primary um, mode of getting information out there and different campaigns we've run. I'm sure we'll talk about the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics at some point, Hong mm. Kong and that. So, mm. yeah, jump onto the Twitter handle as well. I think that's twitter.com, IPAC Global yeah. as well. Oh, my goodness, does that mean I have to sign up for another social media? I was trying to restrict them, but I'm not <laughs> well, on Twitter. I'll have to do it. If, no, nor am I. It's funny, I occasionally will look at it, but I'm, I, I pulled myself off Twitter years ago. I just found it uh, depressing, to be honest. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, but look, uh, very pertinent what you said. January, I believe, um, uh, at the end of this month or into February, we have the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. And that's, uh, I think, the top of a list on my list. And it's also, I think, a top, of a, a top of a heading of human rights on um, the IPAC website. Yeah, well, it's been probably our most recent um, campaign. Mm-hmm. So IPAC, you know, supports the Olympics. We think the the noble goals of the Olympics are great. We've got no problem with uh, athletes going. I think there's always that little bit of, you know, keep politics out of sport. But at the same time, we think that um, 
governors general, heads of state, heads of governments, I think prime ministers, ministers, senior diplomats don't need to attend that actually by boycotting, so that's why we talk about a diplomatic boycott, mm. um, sends a signal to China um, and the regime that we don't support uh, a lot of what they're doing. And you just have to think about everything from you know, Hong Kong to the Uyghurs uh, and everything in between that, well, we think there's lots of good grounds to not, again, you know, be sending diplomats or yes. our governmental representatives uh, there. And I'm happy to say the likes of New Zealand are not sending uh, ministers. Australia's the same. Uh, the US, in fact, it was um, Joe Biden um, started the ball rolling in many ways in this uh, space. So yeah. it's, it's got some good traction. Yeah, yeah. And I think I read uh, back properly, started December, early November, um, the British government had also said they had no plans, I don't know if it's a formal boycott of it's saying they had no plans to send any diplomats there, but I don't you know if it's uh, if they're on board with that or not. Yeah, I, well, the UK is, I think, Lithuania as well. There's, there's quite a number. It, it's a growing list, and in some ways that illustrates the, the hopes and aims of IPAC, is that we, we can work together and collaboratively so that not one country is standing alone. It's the classic, there's strength in numbers, particularly when you are against such a large country as China, particularly in the economic zone. They, they can exact a lot of punishment on countries. Uh, Lithuania is experiencing that at, at the moment as, as China puts the screws down on them. But coming back to Beijing Olympics, multiple countries standing together saying, you know what, sending our sports stars to compete is good, but we don't need to send our prime ministers and our governors general and our ministers mm. uh, to attend and to send a, to send a signal that we, the world community, are not happy with their, you know, China's human rights record. Mm, absolutely. And uh, as you said, in an ideal world, you know, politics wouldn't come into sport, but, uh, you know, it's it's not an ideal world, is it? And uh, unfortunately, some things do take a larger precedent than sport in itself. And, you know, when you have, uh, as you know, on the IPAC website, it says these, you know, ongoing gross violations of human rights, then, uh, you know, sometimes action needs to be taken. Oh, absolutely. And again, I think it's important, particularly for your listeners, to know that having Kiwis go and compete in the Olympics is great, and I think they will hopefully do really well, have a fun time, but you don't need the politicians going. It's just a way, I think a proportionate way of sending a, a signal, yes. uh, which is great. Yeah. And it's been noted, by the way, China China picks up on all of this. They know they want to be accepted in the world, yes. um, and this sort of stuff does hurt. Yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Might make them change some of their behaviours. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, interestingly, um, for our listeners, if you're on uh, um, uh, Facebook or on uh, the Amnesty website, uh, Amnesty Norway is uh, spearheading a campaign, uh, for, again, focusing on the Beijing Winter Olympics and by drawing, uh, particularly by drawing highlights to five prisoners of conscience who have uh, been in prison, tortured, disappeared, uh, and just draw, drawing the... I don't want to say drawing a positive image away from China and the Olympics, but more on the yeah the, the attack on fundamental human rights. And interestingly, one of those uh, five prisoners of conscience is Guo Xixing, who's a human rights lawyer and is the Christchurch Amnesty's adopted prisoner of conscience. So do have a search for that on the Amnesty website. Another um, human rights issue, Simon, that uh, again from the IPAC website, and, and this has been uh, a lot of uh, focus in the Amnesty New Zealand uh, domain, is um, democracy in Hong Kong. Um, yeah. So just uh, just for our listeners there, it's got a statement that I've, I've copied off the um, 
uh, IPAC website. So we, the members of the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, condemn the imposition of a so-called national security legislation on Hong Kong by the Chinese National People's Congress. This new law is a comprehensive assault on the city's fundamental freedoms, rule of law and autonomy. I wonder if um, you can uh, educate us, because uh, there'll be a lot of people know that something's happened in Hong Kong and China, this new law, but what is this uh, national security legislation that was brought into Hong Kong by the Chinese People's Congress? Yeah, well, of course, I mean, I'll, I'll try to do it briefly, but um, you know, Hong Kong has returned to be part of China, but part of the understanding between the, the Sino-British Treaty was that um, it was to be two systems, that, that Hong Kong's uh, democratic system uh, was to remain while Hong Kong, if you will, became uh, rightly back part of China. Uh, but that got thrown out the window when they passed this national security law, which, which really long and short says that anyone standing for political office who wants to be in the judiciary or the police or a teacher or any area of influence basically has to agree with the core tenants philosophy and approach of the Chinese communist Party. In other words, if you're someone who believes in uh, democracy, if you believe in freedom of association or freedom of religion, well, that doesn't work in a you know a communist regime. They have a way of doing things, not multiple ways. And so, instantly with the imposition of this law, despite huge protests, huge protests, and a lot of violence to suppress said protests, um, a whole lot of legislators basically lost their voice. Uh, teachers lost their, their jobs, a whole lot of student protesters um, arrested. Um, there's a whole list of them. There's about 47 who were arrested in um, June uh, last year. Um, just all of a sudden, yeah, just massive clampdown. So th in a way, the things that we take for granted in New Zealand, the ability to, to protest, to speak up, to hold different values, that's just been utterly crushed mm. in Hong Kong because of that law. Mm, sure. Yeah. So uh, I know there's uh, a couple of um, points that IPEC is uh, focusing on. So they've, I've got a few things like no extradition to Hong Kong. That's one of the uh, IPEC successfully campaigned for suspension of expedition treaties with Hong Kong in seven countries, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, New Zealand, UK and the USA. Um, so can you speak to that at all? You know, did countries willingly yeah. come on board to, uh, you know, sort of cease or suspend those um, extradition treaties? They did, and New Zealand included, which was, was positive. So this national security law not only applies to Hong Kongers in Hong Kong, but Hong Kongers outside it. In other words, if someone from Hong Kong was protesting in Auckland, um, against the communist regime, they could, it doesn't have to be Auckland, I'm just using an sure. example, but... Yep. To illustrate it, um, they could be extradited strictly back to China. So again, to illustrate the point, a Hong Konger in Auckland protesting the destruction of democracy, um, there was grave concern that China could say, hey, we want to arrest you know, Bob Smith, um, please extradite him back to China. And New Zealand, along with a number of other countries, said, well, that's just not going to, to happen. In fact, the national security law goes further, Stefan. It could even apply to you and me. They, you know, we as non-Chinese citizens speaking against the rules of their, or this conversation even, breaks their law. Wow. Um, so it's it's quite remarkable um, that the scope of it. Yeah. Um, and it's basically you are not to question the communist regime. Yeah. 
I think a lot of I mean, myself included would have a hard time wrapping our heads around that. But you know, <laughs> to to speak so freely and as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, sometimes it's uh, we don't realise the freedoms we have until they're taken away. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a as you say, a remarkable concept that you know they, legally they could try that. Um, yeah, look, they could. I mean, it, it would be unlikely, mm, particularly for non-Chinese, non-Hong Kong course. residents. Yeah. But yeah. it's the it's the intention, and mm. it's it's put the fear into a lot of people from um, Hong Kong who've uh, fled, mm. in, in effect, um, and they've often turned to countries like New Zealand or Canada, the UK, Australia, and others, where effectively they've given sanctuary, and it, it's a positive that our governments have said we will not extradite yes. uh, the citizens despite what China might want. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good lead in actually one of the other points um, that IPEC has uh, campaigned on was a protection of Hong Kong activists. So there's one I was reading about. Uh, IPEC put a, a letter signed by over 100 parliamentarians globally uh, coordinated by IPEC calling for the immediate release of pro-democracy activist Andy Lee uh, from so- solitary confinement. And, and this really actually strikes at the heart of a lot of Amnesty's campaigning as well, that sort of that individual, that activist, they might not even call themselves an activist. Some of them, you know, they're just people who have fallen foul of the, the, the ruling structure. So, yeah, um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the protection of the Hong Kong activists? Yeah, well, we weren't able to help Andy directly, unfortunately, because he was um, um, arrested. Mm. But, you know, Andy is one example of, uh, in this case, often young people whose only crime was to speak out and challenge mm-hmm. uh, the regime. Um, wasn't involved in anything violent or anything like that. He was just speaking up. Uh, And uh, now his life is, well, um, imprisoned. Uh, And again, that's just appalling. And he's one of many who fit into that category. So for those who were able to get out, and um, people like myself being able to assist um, in different ways, uh, it was a key IPAC call to governments like New Zealand, Australia, uh, and others to say, look, allow these people in. And the UK is probably one of the best models, actually, who said, hey, look, we'll create a lifeboat scheme. In other words, Hong Kongers going to the UK, in effect, get immediate visas. Right. Um, New Zealand's got a few other hoops to jump through, but mm-hmm. um, it's trying to allow Hong Kongers who want to get out um, some surety that they'll be welcomed in whatever country they go to. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, another point under the uh, democracy in, in Hong Kong uh, human rights campaign that I was very interested to read about because being parliamentarians and, and global governments obviously carry can carry a bit more clout than uh, NGOs such as Amnesty. But the point I've got here is, uh, uh, and correct if my pronunciation, is a Magnitsky sanctions. Could you? Oh, yes, Magnitsky, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, good, I got it right. It looked about all those Ks and Ys and lots of consonants. I thought I'm going to get this wrong. But uh, could you tell us, I'd never heard of a word until I was uh, going over the um, IPAC website. So maybe you could tell us a bit about them. So Magnitsky sanctions, I'll explain where the word comes from. It's named after a Russian activist, Sergei Magnitsky, who worked for an American called Bill Browder. Um, Long and short, exposed corruption in Russia. Uh, Putin and his friends didn't like that. Um, uh, Sergei was um, arrested, tortured and killed. It's a very, very quick um, uh, explanation of where the word or the name comes from. Mm -hmm. And as a response, uh, his boss, Bill Browder, um, started a campaign to basically have sanctions 
targeted towards the individuals um, responsible. And, and that's effectively what Magnitsky legislation around the world, not in New Zealand yet, unfortunately, but around the world does. It's about sanctions which are targeted towards um, individuals uh, or, or particular groupings of individuals. And that's quite different to the usual sanction regime which we have, which is uh, first and foremost UN-led and um, applied usually to whole countries or corporations. So that's where New Zealand's at at the moment. We can only ever apply a sanction that's UN-approved and to a whole country. Mm-hmm. Whereas Magnitsky says, hey, um, we can, um, if you had Magnitsky legislation, you could say, okay, these are the Russians who were involved with this particular crime. Uh, these are the Chinese officials who are responsible for running the Uyghur concentration camps. We are going to, to target and sanction them. We're going to freeze their bank accounts. We're going to stop them buying land in our country and, and so forth. So Magnitsky laws or legislation is, is, again, much more targeted. But New Zealand doesn't have them, sadly. Myself and Louisa um, have been campaigning for them in New Zealand and will continue to do so. Australia's just passed its Magnitsky laws. Uh, the United States has done so under the Obama and Trump administrations. The UK has them. So a number of our allies do. Um, we just don't at the moment. Okay. Well, that's really interesting to know. And I think it certainly taught me a few things there about Magnitsky. And, you know, it's a lot of our amnesty members will, you know, sometimes attend rallies or a lot of focus is writing letters, say, to, you know, the Andy Lees of this world. But, uh, yeah, uh, Magnitsky sanctions sound like they uh, can be a bit more top shelf, for want of a, a better word, but, you know, a bit more punch behind them, hopefully, to, you know, put the light on these perpetrators of human rights abuses. Yeah, well, it's just another set of options. Mm. Um, another set of options that, you know, importantly, when a country can identify particular uh, perpetrators, and the important thing about Magnitsky legislation, it's not country-specific. Yep. It's basically saying we're... Use New Zealand, for example, if we were to ever pass the legislation where New Zealand looks and says, this group of people is committing gross human rights abuses, we can and will sanction uh, them. Mm. And it's made a real difference. It, it's really hurt the uh, Putin regime because a lot of his lieutenants found all of a sudden they couldn't move their money about and so forth, particularly into the United States and the UK. Mm. But it can equally apply to other, other countries as well, including China. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Look, I mean, uh, I could hold you up all uh, evening chatting on my show, <laughs> Simon, but and this has been a, a fascinating two-part interview for both myself and uh, our Activate listeners. So I do want to say thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. It's been much appreciated. And um, one, one final question, I guess, if people were to sure. go to the IPAC uh, website or, or if they had any queries about IPAC, what's the best way to uh, for them to reach out? Is there a contact on the website or is it you or Louisa or, yeah, what's the best way forward there? There is um, an email on the IPAC website. They can certainly do that, but they're very welcome to drop myself or Louisa an email. Um, our emails, the at Parliament emails, are, are online and easy to, to find. Yeah. Um, I'm across various social media like Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and Instagram, so people yeah. are welcome to hit me up yeah. um, because I run that and my emails come to me. So, yeah, feel free to hit either Louisa and I up and we'll respond. Great. Well, thank you very much for the uh, two interviews, Simon. Stefan, it's a pleasure, and thanks to all your listeners for the important advocacy that they undertake as well. Great. <laughs>
Hi, this is Kerry uh, joining you this month uh, in January with some good news, a good start to the year. Um, first up, we have, well, some really unexpected, for me at least, I'm sure other people maybe saw it coming, but some good news from Papua New Guinea where um, the death penalty is being abolished. That was confirmed in the first couple of weeks of this year and the sort of death penalty will be abolished for people who are currently on death row and for anyone in future and the people currently on death row will instead serve life sentences without parole and that will be the sentence for future cases where otherwise it would have been the death penalty so um one of the the reasons that they were quoted as as making this change is that the bible says thou shall not kill and the government has therefore removed by policy the clause on the death penalty so it's great to see that change of course that's not the only country in the world that still has the death penalty until recently recent uh, assessment by amnesty international shows that there are still over 50 countries around the world that have the death penalty and some countries where although um it's been abolished it's not been fully abolished so so yeah there's, there's still some places of concern including uh, more western countries like the us still having the death penalty and and which we truly hope will change soon but but yes there are there are countries such as china and saudi arabia and iran and iraq and afghanistan and india where you can still see the death penalty is in existence and there's there's still a lot to campaign for and to change around the world so let's celebrate this good news but also look ahead to where else we need to campaign to make this change in future and hope for better news going forward happy new year and thank you for joining us for some good news Hi folks, Stefan here again and I just want to thank you all for listening to the uh, first show of Activate, Amnesty International's Human Rights on the radio show here on Plains FM. So first show for 2022. Uh, I think we've got off to a cracker start with that uh, two-part or second part of the interview with Simon O'Connor, National MP for Tamaki and his uh, very insightful comments and uh, reflections on IPAC and the role that China is playing in the world. Uh, we had some uh, human rights news from Catherine and, of course, some good news stories from Kerry. Now, I uh, just want to let you know about some upcoming events. Uh, do go to our Facebook page, Amnesty in Christchurch, uh, to see about our letter writing, uh, which will be happening possibly in February, but definitely in March. We'll be restarting up, but uh, you can check the events page uh, on our Facebook page. And of course, uh, you can sign up to our events email list. Uh, you can message us, direct message us uh, on um, Facebook, or you could send an email amnesty.christchurch at gmail.com or contact us via the uh, New Zealand Amnesty website, amnesty.org.nz. Um, so that's for letter writing. There'll be upcoming regional team meetings if you want to participate. But perhaps the biggest item that we need to draw your attention to is on Wednesday. January 26th is a National Day of Action for the um, Winter Olympics in Beijing, which are going to be starting at the end of this month and in February. So Amnesty uh, Christchurch will be holding a protest outside the Chinese consulate between 11 and 1 o'clock uh, on Wednesday.
Wednesday, the 26th of January. It's at Hanson's Lane in Blenheim Road. So the consulate address is 16 Hanson's Lane, the Chinese consulate. But we will meet on the corner of uh, Blenheim Road and Hanson's Lane with this high traffic flow. Bring a sign. What the campaign is focusing on, and you can find this if you go to the amnesty.org website that talks about the Free the Five Olympic campaign for freedom of expression. It's focusing on five prisoners of conscience um, in China. And uh, so it's Amnesty's ongoing campaign to highlight the Chinese government's systematic violation of freedom of expression with the organisation of the 2022 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. The Chinese government wants to highlight China's superpower status. It also wants to deflect attention from its abysmal human rights situation. We're going to draw attention to that abysmal human rights situation. Now, of course, there's many more than five prisons of conscience in China uh, or basically in prison for their freedom of expression. But these are the five we'll be focusing on as uh, as an example of what's going on there. So please do come along. Uh, check out the website, uh, amnesty.org, for information. Check out our Facebook page, Amnesty in Christchurch, for event details. Send us a message, amnesty.christchurch at gmail.com, uh, or via our um, information contact uh, address on amnesty.org.nz. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Um, once again, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to our uh, presenters, thanks to Simon O'Connor, uh, thanks to all the staff at Plains FM here, uh, Peter, Nikki, uh, Laura, for putting the show together. And we look forward to speaking to you next month, February. And we look forward to seeing you on Blenheim Road, January 26th at 11 o'clock. Thanks again.